0: The story. I remember being over there and literally walking through this rubbish dump. I mean, a real rubbish dump. It's like smoking molds of rubbish. And and amongst all this smoke and this mess and this stench, little children walking around with barely any clothing on, Mm -hmm. uh, scavenging for food. And when you see that and you come face to face with that, you're really challenged
2: by it. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today, we have an encouraging one for you, which is a perfect example of how God can use us to further His kingdom. David Leslie was a successful businessman when God changed his life forever. Since then, he's developed a heart for evangelism in Africa. We'll find out the remarkable way the Lord is using him as he has a chat with Shelley Scowen.
0: Many years ago, uh, God called me out of the business world and into doing what I'm doing now, which is, you know, we, we're, we're evangelizing in Africa, we're, we're building uh, learning centers over there. It, it is a very unusual combination, but when God calls you to, to something, you obviously need to obey that, as we all know, but um, yeah, he's, he's given me a gift of, uh, I suppose, entrepreneurialism and, and yeah, when I was praying one day, I was literally praying for a whole week and and he spoke to me at the end of that weekend. he said, I'm going to call you and call you into uh, Africa. So it was quite a shock to me at the time. But um, many years on, eight years on, I'm still doing that in Africa and also running uh, several companies here on the Sunshine Coast.
1: Wow. So you don't have a whole lot of spare time then. you got your hands full?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have my hands very full at the moment. Uh, juggling, you know, as we all do, family, uh, our company, so we, we run several companies and also obviously uh, Africa so Africa we go to Africa usually twice a year we run Crusades over there and also managing uh, learning centres so you know l- looking after young children right up to the age of 18 is our, our vision for that because yeah. uh, there's a lot of uh, children in Africa and they age out at the age of 16 so for children like that it's going well How can I educate them? How can I take them? So take them from the age of, say, five all the way through to 18, 19. So you're not allowing them to go back to crime and prostitution. So that's one of the other major goals that we have um, as we are in the kingdom of God into Africa.
1: Wow. So there's a a pretty amazing ministry there and the opportunities that you must see in all these children uh, growing up through the system and then graduating from the system, it must be really rewarding.
0: It is rewarding. You know, um, we don't realise in Australia how lucky we are. You know, yeah. I come home from Africa and, you know, I, I get in a car. And, you know, I, get, I go into a house, I've got food, I've got shelter. I have a family that loves me and, you know, it's, we, we live in a lucky country. So, you know, I, I, I've always thought for a long time that I have a responsibility. I mean, they say you has got a set of clothing on. $20 in your pocket, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. Mm. And sometimes we don't realise that. We don't re- realise that as Australians, but we yeah. are. And 53% of the world live on less than $2 a day. So when you when you see children like that, I'm, I remember being over there, and literally walking through this rubbish dump. I mean, a real rubbish dump. It's like smoking moulds of rubbish. And and the stench was that unbearable. That There was actually a lady with us that ended up for sort of dry reaching it was so horrible and, and and amongst all this smoke and this mess and this stench little children walking around with um you know uh, barely any clothing on mm-hmm. uh, scavenging for food and when you see that and you come face to face with that um as as anyone would you, you're really challenged by it and yeah. i thought about that when i saw this, this, this little girl and she's looking through the rubbish I thought, you know what, I've got a little girl at home that goes to bed at night, she's got so much here. And I thought, I I just felt, I thought, imagine if I was the father of this little girl, you know, scavenging for food in in this rubbish dump. And, And when I saw it face to face, it really challenged me. And God just said to me, don't just look at it and do nothing, do something about it. And that was one of the things that's really impacted upon me to go into Africa and and try and make a
1: difference. Do you find the task a bit overwhelming, though? Like, where do you start? There are so many needy people in Africa with so many different kinds of needs. How did you know where your niche was? How did you know that God was calling you to the childcare and other things you're involved in?
0: Yeah, look, that's a good question. And, look, it is overwhelming when you see the need around the world and you see the people in poverty and hunger and all that type of thing... It, it, it is overwhelming. There was a story that was uh, shared with me once. A father's walking along the beach with the daughter and there's thousands of star, starfish on the beach. The father, sorry, the little girl said to the father, look, um, you know, let, let's save all the starfish. And the father said, well, there's too many. It won't make any difference. And the little girl picked one up, threw it back in the ocean and said it made a difference to that one. And I've always remembered that story. And, you know, you start with the one, you start helping the one, Mm. And that's a, a, Yeah, but how do you know which
1: one to help as well?
0: <laughs> I, I, well, that's a good question too. I mean, for me, I've spent time, I know this sounds simplistic, but I've just spent time praying to God and i said, God, show me where to start with this, show me. And sometimes uh, we can pray a lot, but when he says go, sometimes we just need to go in faith. And for me, um, I mean, we started many years ago, like sponsoring children, for example, and that but you can do that from anywhere, you know, in the world, literally. But then got to the point where God called me to go into Africa and, you know, to usher in the kingdom of God, which was running crusades, but also establishing learning centers. And I literally, I was given a contact in Kenya and I didn't really know these people from a bar of faith. God just said, go. I didn't really have the finances at the time, but miraculously. People donated, and I got over there, and that's how I, I got started in Africa. It was through faith, literally just stepping off the boat. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's the thing, you know, sometimes I know for myself I've said, God, you know, give me the smooth waters before I step off the boat. But as we know the story in the Bible, God calls Peter off in a storm. And for me, that, 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 that was literally like that for me. God was saying, okay in a bit of a financial storm here. You may not have the moment, you may not have things going perfectly, There's time to step out now. And and on this occasion, I was obedient. I just said, God, I'm going. Stepped off into the storm and and that started our ministries in Africa.
1: Mm. David, you were brought up in a Christian home, had a great childhood, but you had your prodigal years. Uh, what were they like?
0: Yeah, look, absolutely. Look, I think some parents and probably individuals can relate to this. Look, I I grew up in a uh, lovely family, I love my parents, uh, we went to a traditional church, and my years my were good, I, I've got nothing to complain about whatsoever. I think around the age of 16, 17, 18, I um, started to get my own interest, started to probably, to be honest, I hung out probably with a few guys I shouldn't be uh, on occasions, and I went through a time, a prodigal time I would say, uh, probably for about 10 years, uh, where I knew in the back of my mind God was still there, but I went off track, uh, so to speak. So, you know, some people may be able to relate to that. Mm. And I remember at that time, you know, it became, you know, to in my even in my 20s, and, you know, I did some pretty stupid things and some things I'm not too uh, proud about. And I know one day I'll obviously have to answer to those. But, you know, I got to a point where I remember sitting in, I was in the corporate world, I was sitting in an office one day. and it became, for me, it was about success and people saying, you know, you've got to get the money and the success and you got to get the car and all this stuff and the houses and, you know, it was this whole world. And at the time, on the surface, it looked fine, but I was missing something. I, I, I felt empty on the inside. Now, I remember on occasions I, I would find myself waking up on the weekends and um, I would find my way, find myself making my way to church I hadn't been in church since, uh, you know, 10 years prior and it was God calling me back and ironically some people came around me and, and started talking to me, inviting me to church and And gradually over a period uh, of, you know, maybe two or three weeks, it was kind of like God just, you know, I had a collision with God again and this time it was for real. When, when I say it was for real, I really had an experience with God and at that point in time, he called me out of the corporate world because, you know, corporate world at that time, it seemed, you know, it was all about success and the money and all that. But he said, I want you to leave and go and usher in the kingdom of God uh, into the world. And it was quite a pinnacle point in my life. It was a turning point in my life. But at that point, my prodigal journey ended and I started a new journey. So there's hope out there for, for parents listening or for people who might be on that journey. You know, God has a plan for all of us, and He can intervene at any time. And for me, it was at that time He intervened, and my life literally changed from that point forward.
1: Mm, Because I guess from the world's point of view, you were a success. You had uh, the successful career. You had a bit of money behind you. It was all looking great, but you knew that there was still something not right, huh?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, as I said, on the surface, everything seemed fine had the money got the car mm. got had the real estate properties you know um trading the stock market had plenty of money plenty of success people would look at me and go well you have everything but but in my heart I, I was missing a lot I I, I didn't feel a peace I, you know it seemed like a shallow existence I mean I still had my I'm still moral and integrous and all that but something was missing in me
1: yeah and it
0: was that that day that uh, I was in church and there was, a, there was a, someone preaching and they, they said that. They said, you feel like something's missing. And me, immediately I put my hand up and before I knew it, someone was praying for me. And, and from that night, uh, something changed in me. It was no longer about the money and success and all that stuff. It was about how can I usher in the kingdom of God around the world? How, how can I take the love of God into the whole world?
2: You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowan is chatting with David Leslie about his heart for reaching the people of Africa with the gospel message. Next, David will share about how the global financial crisis impacted his life and played a major role in changing his focus. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with former businessman David Leslie, who is now working in Africa with the intention of, in his words, ushering in the kingdom of God. Before the break, we heard how God entered his life. Now we turn to 2008, the global financial crisis and the impact it had on him.
0: Um, I think most people would remember the global financial crisis. I think most people have been affected by it. Mm-hmm. We were certainly affected by it. Look, prior to that time, uh, we, you know, I was a Christian man and God was stirring me about Africa and things were going really well. Um, I'd just been mentored by Reinhard Bonnke, I was about to start the Crusades and had the money to go and build the Learning Centre to do the Crusades, everything's going fine and bang, the GFC hit and kind of night after night watching it on TV was like this snowball gaining momentum and unfortunately at that time our corporation, we had a $21 million corporation uh, that we built up of assets and and that basically came grinding to a halt. Um, not through our own means or doing anything stupid, but there was persecution, if you like, um, on, you know, towards us. We essentially, over the next few years, uh, lost pretty much nearly everything. And it was a very difficult time. It was a difficult time for me as a father and a husband. Um, whilst it was being done to me, I felt like I'd failed. Mm. I remember one night I walked down to a coffee shop with my wife we are sitting in this coffee shop and I, I just looked at her and I apologized. I had this rehearsed speech and I got to a low point in my life and I, I didn't feel like I had, had what it took. I, I felt like I'd failed my wife as a husband. I felt like I'd failed the children because here we were. We, we were about to lose the house and everything. And I said to my wife, we have, we have a very good relationship. We had a good relationship at the time. I'd become so downtrodden and and, and so uh, distressed about what had happened. I said to her, look, you know, if you want to leave me, you can. You know, I'm sorry if I failed you. And I had no reason to say that. She'd never said anything to me. And at that point, I'll never forget the conversation. We had tears in our eyes. It was like a scene out of the movie. (laughs) And basically she said, look, um, I'm never going to leave you. She said... I don't care if we have to live in a tent. I don't care if we have to live in a caravan. I don't care. She goes, I am never, ever leaving you. I am with you in this thing to the very end. And something that night broke in me. It was like God was saying through my wife, I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I was kind of at that time of saying, God, where are you? And maybe some listeners can relate to, that, to this, like, where are you? I can't feel you. I can't sense you. Where are you in my life? But he was there all along. And sometimes we don't need a new message. We need a revelation of an old truth. And the revelation I got that night was he said, I am with you. And something changed at that point. And God started to restore not only our finances, but you know, started
1: to restore me from that point forward. Yeah, he's got an amazing way of bringing us down to those lows to teach us a few lessons, and then uh, it's wonderful when he does restore. And I guess for some people he doesn't end up restoring them, certainly not to the place that they had been in the past. Other people, he'll restore them well and truly beyond where they were in the past too. Mm. It's, um, yeah. I guess God just has different ways of working with different people, but I'm sure you learned a lot along the way.
0: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, God can do anything. I mean, he's God, Mm. right? Yeah. (laughs) So he, he, you know... He he gets to decide. Yeah, he gets to decide. Mm. He he is the king. Um, And you're right. Different people are restored in different ways. And I know for me, at times, I complained and I kicked and I screamed like a little child Mm. and told God I was upset about everything. But I knew at the end of the day he was there with me and some you know, for a period of time their circumstances didn't change for a long time. But, you know, when we just continue to go back to him, he, he can give us that peace, he can give us that rest in him.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: I've seen so many times over the last eight years where he's actually done that where I've gone even with a little bit of doubt in my own spirit that I've got there and I've seen him just do miraculous things.
1: And you have seen a lot of miracles, especially in Africa. When we say crusades, we really need to, um, I guess, clarify here, because some people have a very negative view of the word crusade. Uh, When you say crusade, you mean these amazing meetings where people come along, people are healed, people are brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing to do with fighting or any of that yuckiness that people might associate with the word crusade. But tell us about the things that do go on in your crusades in uh, some of these countries in Africa. Africa.
0: Look, yeah, you're right. People do have different associations with crusades, but essentially, what we do is, you know, if we're reaching people, if we want to show the love of God, some people do it. You know, in Australia, it's more so one-on-one and it's more more direct relational or relationships. But in Africa, and in parts of Africa, we can we can conduct public or open crusades where we literally have a stage with sound and and lighting set up in, in, in fields, that you know, the size of football fields. So, you know, you can have anything from, you know, a few thousand people to, you know, recently we did one last year where, where we had 60,000, 70,000 people turn up. Um, and basically what I do is I share the gospel. I share the love of God with people. It's ushering in the kingdom of God. And we, we, see, we see incredible things happen over there. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, people just put up their hand and and they give their life to God and and then they go back to what they do. And that does happen to a certain extent. But my whole thing is about ushering in the kingdom of God. It's not just about salvation. It's not just about seeing some miracles. It's about impacting upon nations. And and that's part of my goal. My goal is to go into countries over there. We do these crusades in strategic cities around the nation would be goal of shifting and um, infiltrating that nation. So eventually I get to speaking to governments and, and to key business leaders of that nation. So that's what I mean by ushering in the kingdom of God. Uh, but at the crusades themselves, um, which I basically use or partly use as a platform of influence to influence, other again, again, politicians or business leaders, incredible things happen. Um, in fact, last year we, were at, uh, we, we went to this place. It was quite, uh, it's a, a little bit dangerous, to be honest. We had we had security there. We had you know literally guys there with AK forty seven guarding us. It. So it was it was in a place where, where it's obviously mixed. Um, it was predominantly a Islamic area, and so it was you know it was a bit dangerous because of the history of this town between Christians and Muslims. But. We, we 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 want to go out there and again usher in the love of God and and that's what it's all about. It's not about causing trouble or problems. And here's the amazing thing: we we went to this place. Uh, they said, "Look, you know, we may have two or three hundred, four hundred, five hundred people turn up." And by the end of the week, sixty thousand odd people had turned up to the crusade. Wow! And you know, it was quite incredible. And there was no problems. There was no issues. And People were getting healed. I mean, you know, we, we had people with, that were deaf we, that were getting healed, people that were, were coming on crutches, they were walking away, they were set free. And it was quite incredible. But what was incredible about this, uh, this particular crusade is after we left, it continued. And a mini revival broke out in this particular town, which is a 1,000-year-old town. They had never had the gospel ever preached publicly in this town in a thousand years. It's never been there. Wow. And then a TV station uh, picked up on this story, and they got footage from the crusade, and they got this footage, and then they, they publicized that footage across uh, the Arab world, um, basically showing other parts of the world the love of God. And it was quite incredible. And then what happened after that? is these uh, the key pastors of this nation, which is Ethiopia. We, we met with them last December, and they said, listen, um, we've heard about what you've been doing throughout Ethiopia with these crusades, so we would like to invite you to do a major crusade at the end of this year in the capital city of Ethiopia, and we want to give you the opportunity uh, to speak into the business leaders of the nation and even the government. Wow. And that's the miracle. You know, that's the miracle there because it's about ushering in, not just about the crusades, it's about ushering in the kingdom of God, showing them how they can change culture. You know, a typical model is that, okay, if someone's, you know, you've got a sick child or whatever, we go feed them and put them in an orphanage. But I'm saying, okay, when I'm speaking to the business leaders, when I'm speaking to politicians of the nation, I'm saying, okay, how do you fix that problem? Not how do you patch the symptom by feeding mm-hmm. the orphan, but how do you the corruption? How do you fix the poverty so that doesn't occur in the first place? And that's what I mean when I say ushering in the kingdom of God.
1: Yeah. No, it certainly makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I have often wondered the whole you know, feeding the orphan another meal. Yes, it's totally one thing that God has definitely called us to do. But you're right. We do need to look at the wider issues as well and not just the Band-Aid solutions.
0: Yeah, well, that, that, that's exactly right. And that's my heart. My heart is to go into a nation and say, okay, how, how do we uh, fix these uh, issues, these systematic issues that are occurring in your nation? So mm. rather than just throwing food to orphans, how do we fix the issue of why you've got orphans in the first place? Yeah, You know, um, corruption, I mean, especially in developing countries, sometimes there is a lot of corruption. And when you usher in the kingdom of God and give them kingdom and godly principles, then you can oust that corruption. You can take that corruption out. And when you start to take corruption out and you start to infiltrate that into key business leaders and even governments, then you start to fix some of these major problems like the poverty and hunger and all these other issues that that have been going on in these nations for years, for for, for hundreds of years. And so that's my heart, to, to, to usher in, you know, the kingdom of God, not just salvation, not just healing, but the kingdom of God.
1: Some incredible results from yourself and from other evangelists all around the world, particularly in developing countries. Why don't we see similar kind of crusades in Australia?
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I'm asked that question uh, uh, a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Many years ago, I think it was in the 1950s, I and mean, then Billy Graham came out here, and we saw him conduct crusades. I think in Sydney and, and Melbourne. And I think the reason you don't see it over here is because I think our culture is very different. I mean we we have choice. I mean, when I go to Africa, I'm not convincing people there is a God. I'm convincing people or showing people there is a real God. He exists. He is real. I think in our country, um, there are people, you know, people do have a core, you know, many of them do have a core belief there is a God, but a lot of them, a lot of people I speak to aren't convinced aren't convinced there is a God at all. So um, based on that, you, you have to evangelize, if you like, you have to share your faith in a very different way in Australia than you would in Africa. Um, there's many different ways to do that, obviously, but in Australia, I think the best way is to do that through relationships or to do it through helping people and showing them the love of God practically.
1: Well, uh, I appreciate you telling us some of your story. There's so much to it, and I know you could share with us so many stories from the Crusades and your other ministries in Africa. Thanks for giving us a bit of an insight into the way that God has used you in your life to bless so many others.
0: Thank you, Shelley. Thanks for your time. really enjoyed chatting with you today.
2: That was David Leslie chatting with Shelley Scohan about how he is using his evangelistic gifts to help usher in the kingdom of God in Africa. And as I was listening, I was reflecting on how David's life is a perfect example of how God can use the skills we've developed in our lives to further his kingdom. As we heard, David's experience as a businessman has helped him to educate and evangelize in Africa. David stepped out in faith and was obedient to God's call. It reminds me of the time in the Bible where God says to Isaiah, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah replies, Here I am, Lord. Send me. For more information about David Leslie's ministry, the website is soulfocusministries.com. That's soulfocusministries.com. Well, thanks for joining us for David's inspiring story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
0: I was painfully shy and I used to hide out in the toilet block because I didn't think anybody would want to talk with me, let alone listen to me. And if I had known that... Um, decades later, I would actually be enjoying speaking in front of audiences. I would have run for the bush again <laughs> because
2: I couldn't have believed it. Sometimes we are so fearful of making mistakes in life that we don't even try to do things in the first place. And that was definitely the case for Ruth Benetti, who overcame extreme shyness to go on to become a successful musician, writer and public speaker. We'll hear her story next time.